Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Cheryl and Phil Yagoda. They're founders of Ian's Friends Foundation. Cheryl and Phil, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. We really look forward to this. Thank you. So as I do with all of my guests, we always start with a little bit of background. I think the origin story always makes the difference. It uh, is what drives people. You have a pretty um, emotional and challenging one uh, that is the basis of this episode and what we're talking about. Uh, tell us your story and the story of Ian, if you would, please. Uh, well, our son, who is 19 years old now, he, right before his second birthday, I granted he has identical twin older sisters and they were a little slow in their progression. I was never worried about them. You know, they walked a little later. They they did everything a little later. He he was starting to roll over. He was starting to do things that a typical baby would do. And then all of a sudden things just started digressing. He would be he would just be drooling and and he he couldn't roll over anymore. He he wasn't hitting his milestones at all. And and any milestone that he did hit, he was going backwards. So uh, I, uh, we, we have a friend who was, a, is a pediatric neurologist. Um, he got him in and they did a cat. They're like, you know, just to make sure everything is okay. They did a cat scan. Everything. He was like, he is fine. You're being a neurotic mom, just enjoy him. And if you're still seeing these problems within a month, bring him back. We went home a month later. He's was not progressing at all. So they did an MRI and um, in this MRI, they found where a CAT scan cannot, a CAT scan cannot, it cannot, you cannot see the, the brain stem, I guess, or wherever his lesion is in a CAT scan. Did the MRI, they came in within 30 minutes. We were like, okay, we're going to be in and out of here in a, in a, in 30 minutes. Well, they came in, they're like, you need to sign this and this and this. We need to, you know, we found something. We need to uh, um, put dye in him. And that's where our crazy story started. So uh, for, for the benefit of the listeners, um, your, your son was about two years old. Um, he started having developmental problems. He has a scan. Uh, the scan appears to show nothing. He then has an MRI, which actually shows a brainstem lesion. And as you describe it, he he essentially had cancer in his brainstem. Terrible place in, in the body. It's very difficult. Um, obviously, every parent's worst nightmare. Um, tell us briefly what happened from there and what this then became in terms of Ian's uh, Friends Foundation. So... Basically, the doctor walks in the room, like Cheryl says, hey, we think we found something. And that day, in those words, changed our life's story forever. We, Cheryl looked, you know, she was bawling. 
I didn't know what to do. I was in shock, you know, as our backgrounds are in finance and, um, you know, you're supposed to kind of know everything about what you're supposed to do for a living. But when they come in and tell you that about your child and you don't have any background in that, it's kind of like you hit a wall. So we went and we called everyone we could to ask, you know, what does this mean? All the doctors we knew, I even went to work and said, Hey, if you want, I'll resign, I'll quit, I'll do whatever, but I need to focus on my family now. Cheryl and I started looking into this more and more, and we learned that this is the number one cause of childhood death in kids under the age of 20 from disease. And there was so little dollars put into this. Um, Can I I say something? I'm sorry. Granted, we had no idea that brain tumors that can be operated on, most brain tumors can be operated on, they they can they have something that they can do to help a, a tumor in your brain stem is inoperable and chemo doesn't really do anything for it so they basically gave him 6 months to live and they are like come back in 6 months and we'll see what's happening wow so yeah so at that point we said we're not going to leave any stone unturned so we went to or this Thing was seen by started in the west coast in a very short period of time uh ucsf um children's la city of hope md anderson university of chicago children's national in washington dc all the places here meaning emory and children's health care of atlanta we're in atlanta uh hopkins nyu cornell new york presbyterian boston children's toronto sick kids we even sent the scan to saudi arabia to king faisal's hospital because there's supposed to be some guru there and every time we kept saying where are we in research And every doctor was like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if we're not that far along, is it lack of brain power or is it a lack of funding? And of course, no one wants to say it's a lack of brain power. So it was a lack of funding. And so we said to ourselves, we're not going to sit back and wait for someone else to do something or not. We're going to go out and we're going to go and help try and find a cure. So that's how the foundation was started. Um, And we just started funding things. I think now we're at 39 projects in 28 different institutions. We funded everything from uh, drug delivery to therapeutics, to um, diagnostics, to radiology. Like there isn't an area that we find a good idea in that we will not go after. We've even, you know, looked at AI like three or four years ago, uh, where now it's kind of like, you know, the thing to do. So I, I think we've been on the forefront of a lot of um, of a lot of things, but that's really how the foundation got started. So first of all, thank you for sharing the story. Very personal, uh, very challenging. Um, secondly, I- I'm just delighted to hear that Ian is doing well. Not something that uh, you as parents expected, given what I can only describe as possibly some of the most horrific words I've ever heard on this show, which is, uh, it's inoperable. He's got six months to live. Come back in six months and see what's going to happen. I mean, that's just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's an awful experience. And I'm so glad that A, you're willing to share it and B, that, you know, Ian is doing well. So first off, that's good news. He's a um, miracle. He really is. And there are some doctors who yeah, call him a miracle I mean, child. Miracle. <clears throat> and I have to say, honestly, like the way I live with this whole thing is this whole thing's a mistake. We were supposed to be scared. We're going to go out there and we're going to make a difference. And, you know, thank God my son is doing incredibly. All my children are doing incredibly. Thank, thank God. But there are a lot of children who don't have that outcome. Right. 
And we're going to go and do our best to try and make sure that all these kids have the same outcome as Ian. And he really becomes a, like a beacon of light for a lot of people, because, you know, when you're, when you're told something like we were told, and then you see what actually could happen. Like, you know, the kids who, who actually become like, or land up doing okay for a parent, that's, you know, it's uplifting. It's, it's a hope, it's a dream. And so we, we, you know, we try and be there for people as much as we can. And he does too. Like he's, he's connected with these kids, these kids who aren't as fortunate as he is. And, it, but it's hard for him. Like he definitely has survivor's guilt. Oh, I'm certain. Yeah. Um, so as, as you think back to that time, a couple of things that you said before we get into where the foundation is and, and what you're doing, um, particularly apropos uh, for this month, which is Pediatric Cardiology Month. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, Pediatric Cancer Month, um, you, you you made a couple of statements. One is, you know, total lack of research. Number one killer in children, childhood cancer. And yet you said lacking in research. And you said, you know, perhaps lacking in brain power. That's not something hard to assess. But, you know, maybe that's also a function of resources, because if there's not resources, then there's not people doing it. So you discovered that. Do you have any sense of why that was the case? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's a, a problem that you go, ah, well, we're not interested in. I mean, the, the, why is there such a dearth of resources in this particular area? You know what? I, I'd like to say, um, I'd like to say there could be a different reason, but I, I think it's because kids, you know, they can't vote. They can't push their own agenda and they can't push their own will, right? So, Parents have to advocate for their children and they have to advocate for others. In this situation, you know, I'll give my life for any child, any child, not for any adult, but I will give my life happily right now for any child if I could. Um, and I'd say that some people look at this as well. You know, there's say 30 to 40,000 kids living with brain and spinal cord tumors. So cuff it, call it 35,000. And they say, well, you know what? That's not enough because there's 5 million people living with breast cancer and liver cancer and lung cancer and all, all equally terrible diseases to the people that have them. But these children need an opportunity. If you want to build out, you know, a tree pretty quickly, I can make it a 5 million person problem too. You take 35,000 kids, they marry 35,000 kids, they all have two or three kids. You can make this a, a much bigger problem. But right now they look at it almost as like an orphan disease. And they say, well, if we're going to put money towards something. It's got to go to a larger map, you know, to the masses. Well, I would contend that Again, this is a situation that affects affects 35,000 kids or it affects one child. We should be looking at it. And there's no race, creed, color, religion, demographic, socioeconomic situation, or even geographic location that this does not affect, right? This does not discriminate against anything. And because of that, we need to be putting a lot more resources. I mean, look what we did with COVID. But in less than a year, although like they had RNA type stuff out there, they were able to come up with, you know, a, 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 something to solve the problem. We can put men in space, women in space, tin cans on the moon. It doesn't matter, right? Those are all big dollar figures. Why we can't put dollars towards saving a life doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, whether it's my child or anyone else's child. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Cheryl and Phil Yagoda. They're founders of Ian's Friends Foundation. Uh, we were just talking about Ian's journey and, you know, specifically to 
the lack of resources, focus, and attention. And you know, I, I, I've got to be honest here: the, the sobering um, assessment, which I, I can't disagree with, which is you know the lack of voting power and and um, uh, representation for pushing of resources in healthcare. Thankfully, two parents of a child that had this decided that this was a problem that you were going to address. You set up the foundation. Um, tell us a little bit um, about that journey. So was this concurrent? Did What was the story with Ian's um, clinical course? Did he resolve? And was this part of the foundation? Or how, how did those two coexist? So again, you know, Cheryl had mentioned that Ian's lesion is in his brainstem. The brainstem is called like the epicenter of everything that happens in your body, right? It controls all of your, all of your involuntary functions. So your heart rate, your respiratory rate, your, your uh, body temperature, your blinking, your anything like that. And the problem becomes, it's like, you know, th this is a weird thing to say, but a tumor really isn't a bad thing, right? It doesn't emit a gas. It doesn't go and kill it. it it's, it, it becomes a real estate problem. So when they continue to grow and grow and grow, and grow in other areas, it, it, it's that becomes the problem. So if you think of this like a highway and the epicenter or the um, brainstem is like a toll booth, if you have three tolls shut, you know, you get like a little bottleneck if there's only two left open. And then if you have any growth, now you only have one open and it becomes a real problem. But because it's very, very dangerous, uh, a very dangerous area, Ian's is non-operable or inoperable. Um, he's living and, with it. Yeah. And so he lives with it. And as parents, we, we live in MRI to MRI, but thank God, you know, since he's two years old, there has been no change. It's been, um, it's been stable and God willing for the next 500 years, it's going to be the same way. Um, when we set out to, to do the foundation, one of the things a lot of people do is only focus on what their own child has. What we wanted to do was fund the best idea. And it wasn't, I think, until about the fourth or fifth project was it something that actually would directly just affect something like an inoperable tumor that we actually funded. Um, but with that, uh, you know, in the course of his journey, he has overcome so many things, um, you know, some more personal than than, you, than we'd want to get into, but really his, uh, I mean, from his gait when he would walk to drinking, um, to, to being able to swallow and drink, we'd have to thicken his liquids to, but now he's just doing incredible. And you know what? He's worked a lot harder than a lot of kids to get to the same spot. He's worked a lot smarter as well. Um, and his parents, we couldn't be, you know, more proud of him. So great story uh, for him. <clears throat> Obviously, the foundation has. I would say it sounds like gone from strength to strength. You've sort of focused on this area. I have a sense that, you know, you describe both of your backgrounds as finance. Perhaps this was the marriage of, you know, external knowledge in a healthcare setting that was able to be applied. Was that part of what was going on? What does Ian's Friends Foundation do and what does it focus on? So, you know, our whole thing is focusing on research focusing and funding research. Um, you know, neither of us are doctors. I'd say we're just kind of like well-read dummies, but 
beyond that, um, I doubt that. Just to be clear, because any parent I've ever met is no, no, definitely not. But keep going. Um, but you know, uh, along those lines, you know, we because we're you know out there and people find us, whether it's on the internet or you know as a friend of a friend or something like that. We get calls all the time, and we always try and help. We know that that time period between we think we found something and oh my god, what do I do? If we can take those three months and turn it into three to five days for someone and help them, whether it's get in, you know, get an appointment, get in, who's who do we see as neurologists, as neuro-oncologists, as neuroradiologists, like all, all these different things, we also try and do that. Although our main focus is is research. So um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that have happened through the course of this. I mean, obviously you've been at this for a long time. I'm hoping you've got some success stories and, you know, some uh, experiences through this that have shown the benefit of these kind of actions. So, you know, in terms of the research and, and I'd say successes on, on the research side, then we, then we can get to like actually families and children uh, without talking about any particular one. Hmm. Um, on the research side, the foundation has done really well. I mean, we've had, we've done, had definitely, everyone has some failures, right? That's why it's called research. If, if not, it wouldn't be, but we've had many projects picked up at what's called with these RO1 grants, which is, um, grants given by the National Institute of Health, the NIH. Um, we've had one of our projects win the RICO award from the National Institute of Health, which is like a highly coveted award. We've had one project given FDA breakthrough status, which is, wow. you know, incredible. Uh, yeah, and that's not FDA approval. That's FDA breakthrough mm -hmm. status. Understood. Um, but, and that God willing will be part of a trial that will be in people next month. Um, wow. That could, if that keeps going that way. So the foundation's really accomplished a lot. We've set up our own biorepository. Um, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes on within hospitals and institutions and universities. And so we set up the biorepository to, to basically be able to give researchers the greatest opportunity to have, you know, live cell lines um, or the greatest of cell lines that they possibly can to make the research, you know, even better. We started something called the what if symposium, like what IFF. So it's kind of like a play on words, but like, what if you forced collaboration or you got people to come together? In the research community, it's a it's kind of a weird thing, right? People don't care so much about money. They care about their research because their research becomes, or their collateral becomes their currency. Yep. And so from that standpoint, a lot of people cover their answers. You know, it's, they want to, they want to move ahead. That's how you get tenure. That's how you get, you know, all these mm -hmm. different things. So in this, what if symposium, we set it up like a shark, shark tank style approach where effectively, instead of having a person pitching to a dais of five people, like you would see on shark tank, um, we have each person pitching to the entire room. So every doctor in the room becomes a shark. And so we guarantee that we fund the top three that win. However, we can fund basically whatever we want. So we've in the past funded multiple others by saying, hey, you know, Dr. Nick, get with Cheryl, because we think your two things together would be something we would look to fund as one. So if we funded, you know, five projects last time, it was really the three that won and maybe four additional that we you know combined into two. But the combinations and the collaborations that have come out of those um, 
out of those meetings, one won a UO1 award for, for $4.995 million uh, from the NIH. And that's a, as a collaborative between them and another institution that, um, that was funded together. Um, we've had people hired by different universities that never knew each other that met. And then, you know, the research went somewhere. And so a lot of things that the foundation has done has, has um, really been much different than people would expect, uh, you know, just as like a foundation that would normally just give a check and say, see in a year. We, we don't do that. We're very involved in our projects. Um, we try and do quarterly updates on the phone every six months in writing. We get, you know, the financials at the end, at the end of the year before we'll give you your, your next check. Um, things, things like that that have really made a difference. So uh, you, you've talked extensively about all of the financials and the research and so forth, but you also mentioned the personal. I mean, this is not just a, uh, a, a scientific or a financial endeavor. This is about people, parents in particular, the two of you. Um, you both stated that you get involved, you try and provide that support, and even Ian um, is, you know, delivering against that uh, promise. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, some of the experiences. I mean, that must be extraordinarily challenging. It really is. I, I'd, I'd have to say, one, I couldn't be more, we couldn't be more proud of our son. He has spoken to, you know, government officials, hospital, heads of hospitals, and most importantly, families. And mm -hmm. so experiences that he's had at such a young age and what he's dealt with and what he's done to help others, we couldn't be more proud. But I'd say, you know, when we step back and look at things, like we're parents, but at the end of the day, the real heroes are the parents that have lost their children or lost their fight, but stay in it to make sure it doesn't happen to others. And we've had many families that have been involved, that stay involved and only want to see uh, a true difference. And the best is when we've seen families that we've tried to help have the same outcome as Ian. Right. That's all we want is to see children doing well, being well, and you know, creating the journey of, of a family in the future. So uh, singing singing the song of every parent on this planet, I suspect, uh, you know, the importance of that community, the, the infrastructure, the support. Um, for, for the people listening, if you would, Tell them how they can get involved, what what the opportunities are for sort of participating and, and where that all sort of sits, you know, going forward. Well, I give you Cheryl's cell phone number. No, Cheryl. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty good. Um, I, I wouldn't at all be surprised if she would actually offer that, to be clear, but let's not do that on this show. <laughs> okay, well, you can always get involved by going to the foundation's website, which is Ian's friendsfoundation.com um no apostrophes no dashes or anything uh iansfriendsfoundation.com um you can always get involved by donating and that doesn't just have to mean dollars like donate your time like everything that we do um we always need help with and we're always looking for people to get involved spread the word like that's one of the biggest things it's, it's not just a dearth of dollars it's a dearth of knowledge that this exists um people don't realize really how hard it is to to go out there and and raise awareness as well as as raise money for research and i think when more of it's done together um we can make the greatest impact that we possibly can so uh, if you heard it we'll share it in the uh links from the show um 
iansfriendsfoundation.com. Uh, many opportunities. I think the importance here of the contribution that is not just financial, but participation. I say this many times. It's easy to say that's not my problem. My child doesn't have that, but you never know when or how this might strike. And it inevitably does in people's environments. And I think the importance is to step up as best as we all can, as early as we can, as uh, part of our contribution to the future. And children are our future. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're all in awe of this. Unfortunately, as we do each and every week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to thank you both for joining me on the show. Cheryl and Phil, thanks for joining me. Thank Doc, you so yeah. much. And Dr. Rick, thank you so much for having us. And especially now with uh, Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, um, it can be a better time to, just, to speak about this. So thank you again for having us and for having us on the show. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 